The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, a $44 billion deal terminated. Elon Musk is dropping Twitter, but it won't be that easy, says former SEC chair Jay Clayton. We have rules around communications with the market in times like this. I think you're going to see some regulatory scrutiny here around that type of communication. And COVID cases are ticking up, but we keep on keeping on. How we've all reset our risk calculus when it comes to health with Dr. Scott Gottlieb. We're building a tall wall of immunity, and that's why you're seeing this infection have less and less consequence as these subsequent waves come through. Plus, some questionable leaked documents from Uber's past and careful diplomacy. President Biden gears up for a trip to Saudi Arabia. And I still believe that we wear a white hat for the most part. I like to believe it all the time. No way Vladimir Putin put on. And then the question is, do you want to play with those who are in the black hats? It's Monday, July 11th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one, two, Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan. Becky is off today. This is just the boys. Is that, that's a new tie, isn't it? I mean, I was distracted. You haven't seen that tie? No, but I like it. I was it. thinking it was a more of a fall tie because it's a brown color. It is, color. and it's only July. And it's I, July. I, I, have, I was looking. I should start to liven it up with more color in the summer, right? You can ask me. I can ask before. you for some fashion advice. No, the night before you can ask, ask Fashion, me. please. The night before. That's the fine. night before? If I call? Yeah, if you want. How should we I do text. that? Text. Text me. Don't, text. Don't should I take me. pictures of the different Don't times? call me. Don't call, just text. Well, just tell me the colors. The what you, by the way, have you been having this? People now sending you an email and then sending you a text message to say, I just sent you an email. Have you had that I recently? appreciate that. You like that? I, you, don't, you don't have your emails uh, a sound, right? I, I can get an email and not know for a while. But I feel text like it's going backwards. Now people, there's email, then there's the text message, then people are sending you the WhatsApp message. It's hard yep. to keep just a hold of all of these things. And it's a reflection of where we're headed as a society, which is right in the toilet, as you can tell. We're at like 8% think we're headed in the right direction, and I blame social media almost entirely. Let's talk uh, quickly about <laughs> President Media is going to, uh, President Media, President Biden is going to travel to Saudi Arabia later this week. He defended uh, the trip in an op-ed in the Washington Post on Saturday, saying my aim will be to strengthen a strategic partnership going forward that's based on mutual interests and responsibilities while also holding true to fundamental American values. And ahead of that trip, Reuters is reporting the administration discussing the possibility of lifting the ban uh, on U.S. sales of of offensive weapons to Saudi Arabia. The report said any final decision expected to hinge on whether Riyadh uh, makes progress towards ending the neighboring war in Yemen. Uh, and President Biden announced a halt to U.S. support for offensive operations in Yemen in February uh, of last year, including relevant arms sales, but that position appears to be softening as the U.S. appeals to Saudi Arabia to pump more oil to offset the loss of Russian supplies. We could talk about this till the end of the show, and that is 
got golfers like Phil Mickelson yep, making land. hundreds of millions of dollars for the Saudis. We do need the Saudis to pump more oil for the world for a lot of different reasons. Do we have a different uh, sort of set of standards for Saudi Arabia than we do for China? And, and we know how important China is. And this is the, this is the great philosophical one, one, debate. I mean, they, what they did to that poor journalist, it graphic, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But what goes on uh, in China day in and day out in, in Uyghur camps and, and other issues there is, is like probably exponentially worse. And so it's very hypocritical to try to hold Saudi Arabia. To, and, you know, we need both. And in a world where there are no absolutes and everything is gray, how, how do you really try to, and, and then there'd be people that say, look well, at some of the stuff the United States right. does. Yes. They, would, they would point right back at us and say. I won't even go there. I would just say, here we have two countries, unfortunately, that have leverage over us. They just do. And so then you have to decide, do you, does your moral compass have leverage over them? And I don't know the answer. I think no, that we the, don't. It's a, it's a, we don't, and, and they, you know. And then you'd go one step further, Look at this guy running Russia. Look at what. Look at the apartment buildings in major. So we have no idea, and, and we are. It's already on the back burner. We're not like. Um, we're not thinking about it. We're not reporting on it. We're not showing it, day in and day out. I mean, the world is a place of, you know, certainly our values, which we hope hope to spread around from from this country. And I still believe that we wear a white hat for the most part in the global. So do, you, do you believe that sort of, right? We kind of try I to try. I, I like to believe it all the time. Right. I hope and there are places I, that there's just no way they're wearing white hats. No way Vladimir Putin can put on And then the hat. question is, do you want to play with those who are in the black hats? And can you, can you afford to do it? We got a new media report showing an inside look at how Uber responded to authorities around the world. This is as they investigated the company's practices. This is internal documents obtained by The Guardian and shared with an independent panel of journalists. It showed how Uber used what they called a, quote, kill switch to cut off regulators from its data. It was part of a dawn raid manual that instructed employees on how to respond to regulators, included moving the authorities into a room that doesn't contain files or IT access and never leaving them alone. Emails show that former CEO Travis Kalanick ordered employees to, quote, hit the kill switch in Amsterdam. This would have cut off the company's office from uh, other Uber's internal network, uh, effectively preventing uh, them from seeing it, making data inaccessible to authorities as they raided their European headquarters. Cutting access to internal data in such a way is in a legal gray area in many countries, but it's generally not considered obstruction of justice if exercised before requests for specific documents are delivered. Kalanick was ousted, as we all know, uh, by the board in 2017. So we're talking about a media report of stuff that happened more than five years ago, a statement from his spokesman said he never authorized any actions or programs that would obstruct justice in any country. But, you know, it just adds to the narrative around Travis and how he approached doing right. business and, and sort of the evasiveness that the company uh, approached regulation. Of course, there's a separate question about whether if they hadn't done these things, and I'm not saying they should have at all, but the whole creation of the company was to sort of outmaneuver regulators to get to a sort of escape velocity to the point where regulators almost just had to deal with them. Right. Because it's possible the company would have been killed at infancy in some ways by the regulatory community, given both the approach that they were taking and just the power of 
the taxi cab industry in certain well, cities. Well, that's what I mean. They, 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 they and, would and the be, driver community in some they places. They would probably at the time think they were fighting the good fight to get, to get this through the entrenched legacy taxi business that has regulators sort of, you never know who's rubbing who's back in, in terms of those things. And it's oh, no, the, cor the corruption yeah. in so many different cities around the world right. that For were that. Right. around Very the driving community. Was and he just said that, that in some countries it's a gray area what is con construed obstruction of justice. So for him to say he never did anything that would be obstruction of justice is probably a, a true statement based on that, you know, the wiggle room that you have from what you're allowed to do in those other countries. I don't know. I, it's aggressive, but sometimes, you know, startup companies like that that are facing, you know, a very different, and it's, who knows, is Uber going to ever be able to charge enough money really to, to be a profitable company if it didn't have all the other stuff, if, if it was just the taxi cab business? Well, just, I think in certain cities where they're already entrenched, I mean, one of the reasons they're losing money is because they're continuing to invest in building. Well, and they're also subsidizing, they're not charging, charge $60 to, to go, you know, a 20-minute ride. Well, no, no, but, but, about, but I think in, in, city, in many cities, they're already, they're, they're cash flow positive. I mean, it's, a, it's a profitable enterprise. The reason it looks unprofitable is because they're taking that money and they're investing in growing Uber Eats or they're investing in growing in other, in other parts of the world. And so, yeah, if they shut down any kind of growth prospect, it probably would be a, a profitable business. It's a good service. I've, I've come around. You've come around. I have come around. Finally. I have come around. Wow. Uber over can, Lyft or Lyft over Uber? Uh, Uber in, in a, like a nice one. It, it's a lot easier than a car service and a lot, and a lot less money. And it's the same thing. It's the same shiny, nice suburban or something you can get. What is that, Uber X? I, I don't have a... I will say, and I just use it for the first time successfully, you can now reserve a car to show up at a certain time. So, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, do an instant. But almost like the old school you know, right. car services like you might call service. before you yeah. go to an airport or something. See, that's a good now idea. Now you can just say, I, I need it at 8 a.m. and it'll show. That's a good idea. Starbucks has withdrawn a recently introduced breakfast chicken sandwich from its menu. Company said uh, on Friday that the seasonal item failed to meet its standards for quality, but said that any claims that the item caused specific illness are simply false. All appears to be a response to unverified claims on social media that said the sandwich made a few people sick. Starbucks said uh, the quality issue with the sandwich would not lead to foodborne illness. The sandwich is described as, uh, in Starbucks words, breaded white meat chicken Fluffy eggs. Fluffy eggs. I like fluffy eggs. Fluffy as opposed to not fluffy. And, and a maple butter spread on a toasted oat biscuit Sounds good roll. Sounds to me. And only 420 calories. No, I'm trying to just figure out where the uh, weak link in those ingredients would be and how skeeved out I should really be about it. And, and if, you know, in, in the, the way that they're... They're, they're copying to the quality issue, but not yeah. that it could make you sick. I don't you know. Cop to the quality. What does copying to the quality issue mean? Where is the I weak link? And I do not know. Number one, I don't want some... I mean, it's, white, it's either white meat or it's not. So I hope it's not the chicken. Because nobody likes a you know, chicken from Chernobyl Farms or with salmonella or you know, some gross chicken. Now, ma the maple butter scares me because that could be rancid. 
or something, you know? I mean, where do you think the, what does the quality issue mean? I don't want that sandwich. I don't want to eat it. I don't. What? It's unavailable. <laughs> so I so don't care don't if they tell me it's not going to make me sick. If there's a quality issue, I, I, I don't you. want. What, what you know? What do you want? What do I want you to say? I'm not sure. What do you want me to say? I'm Are you back just, at Chipotle? That's all I want. Nope, to I'm not. You're not. Nope, I'm, I'm currently searching for a. Uh, a, a Would you go to a Taco Bell? Bell? I, if there was one near me, I'd, I'd go th- probably. And you feel comfortable I'd at Taco three Bell? Three times a day. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there's no quality issue at Taco Bell, my friend. Except it might be too hot for quality. Next on Squawk Pod, Twitter versus Elon Musk. Musk is over it, but Twitter's board and its stock price are not. What Musk reneging means for all the players and the lawyers involved with former SEC chairman Jay Clayton. There is no doubt that the, the, the what I will say is the legal talent on both sides is the best money can buy. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Man, Gerard Sorkin along with Joe Kernan is just the boys this morning. Becky is off right now. And then let's get to the soap opera that just never ends. An, op- an update on the drama from late Friday between Elon Musk and Twitter. Musk's lawyer notifying the company of his intention to terminate the merger agreement, accusing Twitter of failing to provide him with data on fake and spam accounts. Twitter chair Brett Taylor responding, tweeting the Twitter board committed to closing the transaction on the price and terms agreed upon with Mr. Musk and plans to pursue legal action to enforce the merger agreement. We are confident we'll prevail in the Delaware Court of Chancery. Shares of Twitter, though, we should say, uh, are tanking this morning. They're off about 7 percent right now with 34.20. Of course, now there's a bunch of questions. So they go to court uh, and there's already reporting uh, that Twitter has hired Wachtell Lipton. Uh, of course, uh, Leo Strine at Wachtell Lipton used to be the chief justice of the Delaware Chancery Court. He may be the one who would argue that case in front of that, that court. How quickly does this happen? Is this some kind of larger negotiation? Um, and interestingly, can, a Del- can the Delaware court, there's a credibility issue. If the Delaware court were to decide, you know what, we need to enforce merger agreements. That's what we need to do. We need to tell Elon Musk that he has to close this deal. If that's what the ultimate result is. And then Elon Musk were to try to snub his nose at the court and say, I'm not doing it. What recourse does the court really have? Could they send him to jail? Could they try to um, t- 
take his. So it's a, it would be more than just a civil. No, no. Th what I'm. This is the issue, though. But it, people this, don't go to jail for. No, I know. Oh, this is the point. Oh, so though. that you, you know, that's this not is the point really. Is, a, what is the credibility of a court? If a court it's were to say money. it's money, right? It's usually money. But if a court were to say you have to do this, and he were to say I'm not doing it, I'm just not. I'm not buying the company. Then what would happen? Would they take try to take his shares of SpaceX or Tesla? Um, I mean, this is where it becomes very complicated. And so there's an argument to be made that, and maybe he's going to be sort of playing chicken with the court to see how far they would push it for their own credibility. Now, interestingly, we've talked about the billion dollars breakup fee. There's also potentially, depending on how you read the contract, a billion dollars of a uh, limited cap on damages. So if you weren't to force the company, if you weren't to force Elon Musk to buy the company, are the damages really capped at a billion dollars? Could they, could they go much higher? Is, is it, by the way, has there been $10, $20 billion of damages to this company as a result of him doing this? Potentially. And then the flip side is, is it possible that Elon Musk is right about the bots? And we're going to find out that Twitter has been participating in some kind of fraud right. on the shareholders, and even which is what Elon Musk would say, for right. the last five or ten right. years. And even if he said, okay, I don't need to know that to sign this deal, could it be egregious enough where it is material to, you know, the, the, the 3420 where it is right now, do you think that, that there is a bottom on that based on him coming back with another offer? If, he was, if we knew for sure he didn't want it at all, what would the real price of Twitter be? I thought it would have been down in the 20s. Oh, I think that's, I mean, at a 44, I mean, I'm thinking about it in market cap, at a $44 billion, I think most people in the business would say this is, this is a company that's worth half, half that. that. Half that. 22, $20 billion so that's, maybe? That would be 26 right. then for him. What would he pay 34 where it is right now? He might take 34. That's 20 bucks off, right? I don't know. What I assume happens is you will start to see the legal filings and, 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 and you will start to see the beginning of some kind of court case. And then we'll have a better sense, depending on what the judge says, depending on wh what these briefs say. I mean, part of it is almost... He's almost seeking discovery because part of what he's making two, he's making three different allegations, but one of which is, I just don't have enough information, which is also an unusual thing to say because typically he's waived the diligence. That, that by the way, there's a lot of judges who made to say, you waived the diligence. This is, it's not that you just made an offer, you agreed to a deal. So this is not like uh, some kind of opportunity but that you it, now have to look at new stuff. Was it a giant illusion on what their business actually was. If it was it big enough to where he doesn't well, that And that's the question. Now, they provided, they provided, as you know, a spigot of information to Elon Musk. And he now says, based on that spigot and everything else, that he believes he was misled. that he was misled. I don't know. There is nothing, I will say, in the letter of evidence of being misled. It just says that he has a suspicion that he is being misled, to which a judge could say, your suspicion is misspicion, right? Like, I, that doesn't really matter. Is that a legal is, is that, that a legal, legal term? No. It's a technical term, but not a legal term. Joining me right now is former SEC chairman and CNBC contributor Jay Clayton. I'll put out the range of options for you. You either you could force Elon Musk to buy the company. That's one option. You could look at this and say Elon Musk is right. There's too many bots. Uh, there's been a fraud uh, put upon uh, the public shareholders. Uh, this is almost like a discovery process. I don't know if you, you think that that's something that the courts are likely to do. Uh, of course, there's always the possibility there could be a renegotiation. There's a question, by the way, about damages in this case. If you didn't force the deal, meaning this specific performance, saying you have to buy the company, 
you know, there is this idea that damages are capped at a billion dollars. Do you believe that? So look, Andrew, you, look, you, you, you just laid it out very well. Now we have a range of outcomes that is very wide. But I'm asking okay? you to handicap them, Jay. And, and, and what I'm what I'm going to what I'm going to tell you is, as the as we see in the share price right now, it's pretty difficult to handicap because on the one hand, you have Mr. Musk saying, "Look, I thought I was buying something with you know a limited amount of bot activity, and it's much greater than it was." That's a factual matter that we're going to see whether that develops and has any merit. Well, let me ask time. you this, Jay. As a lawyer, you, you read the letter that Elon Musk published on Friday. And effectively, there's no evidence in that letter, as far as I can tell, that says there is more than 5% of the bots. It says we have a suspicion that there is. Right. It's a very would that move you? Letters. If you were the judge, would that move you to say, okay, let's, let's play a discovery out on the facts of that? Or would you say, you've got nothing here to suggest that there's anything beyond your suspicion I'm making you do this deal. Well, there's a, there's a little bit in between there, Andrew. Uh, there's the claim that uh, the bots are greater than uh, was disclosed. And then there's the claim that I didn't get enough information to actually verify that. And one of the things that may play out in court over time is, is there additional information? If you had additional information, would you be able to show that Mr. Musk's claim have merit and merit to the extent that it creates a material adverse effect. But so do you believe? Do you, play out. But do you believe that that discovery? There's some lawyers who say, if you waive the diligence, you can't, and and you have nothing to show for. You have no evidence of this. This is not like uh, some kind of diligence process. When you actually make an agreement, it's an agreement. Well, that, there's a there's a little bit of a difference there. When you waive diligence, you say I'm not going to investigate um, at this time. But there are still representations made to a buyer. And if those representations are untrue to a very, very high standard of a material adverse effect, you haven't waived that. Okay, I've got a different one for you. And I think that you dealt with this a little bit inside the SEC when you were thinking about uh, the take private issue with Elon Musk a couple of years ago, which is the credibility of the courts. And I think in certain cases, the credibility of the SEC, which is to say, if you were a judge who was inclined to say, I'm going to force you, I'm going to say there's a specific performance requirement. You have to buy this company. There's a question mark about whether actually the Delaware court can actually even do that or not whether they can do it, but how and whether they can enforce it. And if they couldn't enforce it, meaning if Elon Musk were to snub his nose and say, "Okay, I'm not doing that. I know you say I'm supposed to do that, but I'm not going to do that. What they could actually do to enforce it and if they couldn't enforce it, what that would do to the entire political sort of uh, construct that is the Delaware court. Well, this is where I started, Andrew, and the Delaware courts are concerned not just about this case, and, and let's, let's, let's note that there's a lot of emotion around this case, but they're very concerned about the longevity, predictability of Delaware as the venue to resolve judicial disputes. So you're right to focus on that. And as the facts play out, the Delaware courts are gonna draw on their precedent, and they're gonna see, you know, let's go to the one end of the spectrum. Mis Mr. Musk's claims have no merit, um, they're, they're going to order a specific performance, and you're saying, well, what happens then? Well, you know, when you order specific performance, that's an order of the court. Courts have various powers to enforce their orders over time, whether um, it's contempt and the like. These things will play out at the you know, at the other end of the spectrum. If the claims have merit, we will see. One of the things that could happen here is that as the facts develop right now, a very wide bid ask spread and a spread that shows the dangers of merger arbitrage and the like starts to narrow and the parties uh, reach a settlement. 
We, we will that see your, how this plays out. Is that your best guess of where this lands? I, I, you know, it's really, I hate to tell you this, Andrew, it's such wide, it's too early to tell because that factual record around Mr. Musk's claims, um, people are looking at it. Um, what I would say is you're getting a wide variety of opinions across the, the spectrum. They seem to be tilting toward, you know, questionable merit, but we'll see as this develops. I got to ask you about this. So Elon, I don't know if you saw this, two things. And I don't know who his lawyers are who are telling him he can do this. He's tweeting, obviously, last night. First, he's got a, a picture of a chessboard, uh, and then he says, checkmate. And then he does a meme. This is him laughing. I wish we could get this up on the screen. We probably don't have it. Where he says, where it's, it's four pictures of him next to, they said I couldn't buy Twitter. Then they wouldn't disclose bot info. Now they want to force me to buy Twitter in court. Uh, now they have to disclose bot info in court. Does the judge yeah, look, look at that? And say, what does a judge look at that and say? Because effectively, he's now saying, we, I want to I use the court for a discovery process. That's basically what, what this seems to be suggesting. And I think some judges may actually look askance at that. Look, if, if it's, judges are very good at discerning um, what people are using the powers of the court for. But you bring up one of the constituencies that we've talked about in the past, which is the regulators. And we, we're talking about a big bid-ass spread here and the thirst of the market for additional new information that may indicate where this is headed. We have rules around communications with the market in times like this. And I think you're going to see some regulatory scrutiny here around that type of communication. OK, you need final to have, question, You need Jay. to have fair dissemination of information like this. Fair, okay, so who complete, do you want material to, and misleading. You're an independent operator at this point. Who would you prefer to be? Skadden is represent, Skadden Arps representing uh, Elon? Or do you prefer to be Wachtel representing Twitter? Uh, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to pick one over the other. I, I have uh, friends, uh, colleagues at the bar at both places. Um, what, I, what I will tell you is there's going to be no doubt with the players involved of, as I've seen them that this is going to be an incredibly well-briefed exercise. There, there, there is no doubt that the, that the, what I will say is the legal talent on both sides is the best money can buy. Jay is always down the middle. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. I don't know if you saw Donald Trump says it's a rotten contract that Elon Musk has <laughs> called him a, a BS artist over the weekend. Like I said, there's a wide, there's a wide range here of opinion. Wide range of opinions. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, a pandemic check. Where are we? How alert should we be? And whether our social lives will protect us with Dr. Scott Gottlieb. When I go into congregate settings now, I still put on a mask. I wore a mask through the airport this weekend. Um, when Scott, I go into stores that are crowded, I put a mask on. You haven't had COVID I don't yet? think so. As far as, far, oh as, God, far as like I know, I have Mars not. Is, so you have zero friends, basically. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. 
That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC today with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. Rising concerns about the spread of a new Omicron strain uh, with the Washington Post editorial board writing uh, the worst variant just arrived. The pandemic is not over. Uh, this comes as some COVID vaccine and testing stocks have seen gains with Moderna up 23%, Novavax up 48%. Uh, recently joining us now, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner and CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards uh, of Illumina and Pfizer. Uh, G3, they pull me back in. Pacino, remember, Godfather through, pull me back in every time he tries to leave. Last time you were on, we didn't talk, we said COVID one time. So now we're going to, we're, we're fully back, Doc. Let's, let's talk. Uh, tell me about the variant. Tell me about its, uh, you know, how contagious is it? How virulent is it? And how widespread do you expect it to become once we head into a fall and winter? Well, I don't think we're fully back. Look, B5 is now spreading across Europe. You're seeing cases build there. They're up to about 55 cases per 100,000 people per day, up from around 33 cases per 100,000 people per day two weeks ago. And we're starting to see cases build in parts of the U.S., so the Southwest, the Pacific Northwest, parts of the South. You're seeing cases build around the tri-state area as well, but not, not as rapidly. Places that had big B2 waves seemed to be somewhat impervious to B4 and B5. That certainly was the experience in South Africa. They had some infection. Um, but they didn't have a lot of consequence from it in terms of hospitalizations and deaths. Other places that didn't seem to have big B2 waves, like Portugal, um, had a more difficult experience with these variants. So given the fact that some parts of this country had big waves of B2 infection, particularly in the Mid-Atlantic, the Great Lakes region, the Northeast, um, that may be a backstop against very rampant spread of this B5 variant, at least for now. Um, But you are seeing cases build around the country. In terms of how virulent it is, uh, it appears to be on par with B1 and B2. It doesn't appear to be more virulent right now, but that could be a consequence of the fact that we have so much immunity in the population. And it is spreading through immune evasion. So people who've been infected with B1 do seem to be susceptible to this B4, B5 variant. B2, again, affords a better degree of protection since these uh, descended from B2. But a lot of people weren't infected with B2. They were infected with B1 now six months ago. uh, And it does seem to pierce that immunity as well as the immunity offered by the vaccine. Final point is the vaccine does appear to be protective against developing severe disease. And so being up to date in your vaccines is still critical in terms of protecting yourself against a severe consequence of an infection. Well, it almost sounds like rolling immunity, different parts of the country, different strains, but but immunity uh, that, that probably is approaching some type of herd immunity at, at this point. What do you mean up to date on your, am I up to date on my vaccines? I've had, I've had a, you know, what have I had? I had the first one, the second one, and then the booster, right? So I've had three, but it was, you know, six months ago. And I've had COVID. And I've had COVID in, in January. So it, it, do I need to? I'm not. I don't worry. I don't wear a mask. I don't, I don't ever think about it anymore. Am I wrong? Yeah, look, I think now a lot of people see this as this this pandemic and COVID as a consequence of modern living. In some respects, that's a recalibration of risk on the part of individuals. 
And in some respects, it's a reflection of the fact that there's very few immune-naive people. Most people have immunity from vaccination, infection, or both. And I think that that does afford a high degree of protection against having a bad outcome. But vulnerable people will continue to be vulnerable to this infection. Up to date, I think, right now means if you are above the age of 50 and you haven't had a dose of vaccine this year, you should get one. That seems to be the guidance coming out of federal health officials right now. Um, some White House officials were talking about that as a, as a metric over the weekend. So if you haven't had a booster this year, if you're more than six months out from your last booster, you should consider getting one heading into what is likely to be a slowly building wave of infection as we head into the fall. Some parts of the country are in it right now. I think other parts of the country uh, will be in the thick of it as we get into late August, September, and people come back to work, back from back to school, things like that. Scott, here's here's the question. And, you, you know, Joe and I, I think, look at this marginally differently, maybe more than marginally differently. Yeah, if 180 degrees is marginal. <laughs> so, no, no. <laughs> it's not I, 360. That would put us the same. Right. Way. I'm I'm of the view, and maybe I'm wrong, that, you know, sort of after three months or so, and I, you know, I got it... Uh, about a month, a month and a half ago, I'm thinking come September, I, and I, right now I feel very comfortable. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm free to the world, or, right? But I kind of feel come September, I'm going to probably want to be more careful and think about masking up and maybe not do as much indoor stuff and things like that. How do you look at those sort of two, two thought processes? Yeah, look, people have different tolerance for risk. I think a lot of people who are either vulnerable themselves or have young children are going to be more cautious about going into settings, congregate settings where they can get infected and be a, a link in a chain of transmission. They don't want to bring the infection back into their homes or they're worried about their own health. I think for most individuals who are younger, who are healthier, um, who've been vaccinated and a lot of them have been infected as well, we're building a tall wall of immunity, and that's why you're seeing this infection have less and less consequence as these subsequent waves come through. What we've seen in most countries that experienced a B4, B5 wave, with the exception of a few countries like Portugal, is you saw far fewer hospitalizations and far fewer deaths as a consequence of this wave of infection. Hopefully that's what we see here in the United States as well. So far, we don't seem to be having rising um, ICU admissions, rising deaths. There are There is a bump up in hospitalizations, but probably not on par with the rise of infection. So this does seem to be something that's causing less and less consequence through each subsequent wave. But I do well, believe is, you need to calibrate your, your own Scott, individual what's your risk. Take, what's your own personal sort of risk tolerance for getting sick unto itself. I mean, that's part of it, right? People, I, I, I'm one of those people who just hates being sick. I don't, I don't want to get sick. Yeah, look, and I'm trying to avoid getting COVID as well. I don't want to get the infection. I also don't want to you know, be out of work for a week. It would be inconvenient whenever I would uh, catch this infection. So when I go into congregate settings now, I still put on a mask. I wore a mask through the airport this weekend. Um, when Scott, I go you into had stores it yet? that are crowded, I put a mask on. You haven't had COVID yet? I don't yet? think so. As far as far as I know, I have not. Oh, my God, you're like the So you have zero friends, basically. Um, it, 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 as far as I know. As far as you know, you have zero friends? Or as far as you know, you haven't had uh, that? Was Bill, oh. That was Bill, Bill, <laughs> Bill Maher's line, right? So you're the left. Well, hey, I, look, I lost a lot of friends during this no, process, I, yeah. as you know. I, I know other people who haven't had it. Um, you know, I've been careful through this pandemic. I am not. I'm telling you, I'm not anti-vax. I got my second shingles vax on uh, friday man my arm for for, th for three i still feel it a little bit but so uh, maybe pneumonia's next i'm gonna get a vax du jour uh, uh to the point that i mean can't we do that at, at some point can we go vax crazy should i get a pneumonia vax should i get that at this point or is it uh should i wait a little while i feel I pretty healthy i think you're indicated for it by age but uh the shingles <laughs> vax was a good call
Yeah, the shingles act. <laughs> they, they can't, the shingles can't kill you, but you wish you were dead, apparently, if you get it. So that's... Uh, Shingrix, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah, I got that. I got that. And they said, it scares you a little. They told me, look, uh, you probably get... The, on the second one, you're going to get a fever. Could last for three days. If it does, see a doctor. I'm like, I'm going to have a three-day... But I had nothing. Nothing happened except the... Uh, for anyone out there, just a sore arm. That was it. Good experience, Andrew. Good experience. You should do the... Uh, you had chicken pox, right? I had chicken pox. You could get shingles, right? Scott, is that all it takes? If you had chicken pox, you can get shingles? Is that the way it works? That's right. And we saw a rising incidence of shingles during the pandemic. People were under a lot of stress, and that's certainly a trigger for it. Right. Well, neither one of us are under much stress. We, you know, we don't have real jobs. Uh, so, right? So we're, we're, we're good there. I don't think this creates stress <laughs> for you it is. every morning. For you it is. For you it is. Thanks, uh, Dr. Gottlieb. Uh, you know, we, if we're not Thanks smiling and laughing, then we're not living, are we? We can't just be, we need to. Stress smile. Stress smile. Stress, stress. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow for our first full week of Squawk Pod in a while. We are clear. Thanks, guys. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/slash activecash.